This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. So that's why I just kind of let Heavenly Father decide who the who the next guest is, and that's <laughs> that's how it goes. So well, thank you. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Yes, yes. So um, okay, so why don't we tell me a little bit about you? I'd love to hear just kind of, you know, a little bit about you and then let's just jump into your story. Well, I um I have grown up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I grew up in a very, very happy, very active, faithful Latter-day Saint home. And let me just tell you briefly about my parents, because that's kind of interesting to me anyway. My my mother came from good old pioneer stock, very faithful, very, you know, humble means. It was the depression and all that. And um, my dad grew up in a, a more uh, financially stable home, but um, they were not active. I think his mother maybe had been baptized, but was not active. And his father was kind of an alcoholic off and on and and kind of anti-Mormon. Sweet man, good people. And when he met my mom and they got married, um, he made a very conscious decision uh, early on in their marriage. He looked at both those families and decided he wanted a family like my mom's side. And he decided that he wanted to be active in the church. And so he jumped in. They both jumped in with both feet. And that's how we were raised. There were six of us. I was the fourth. And um, all six of us have remained faithful and very happy with the gospel. My husband was also active. He passed away about eight years ago. And um, I think what attracted me to him more than anything was his faith and his testimony. And that's something that we shared. He had lots of health problems through most of our married life. And it was, it was tough. It really it affected everything. It affected his career, his mental health, our finances. It was a struggle, but it was the gospel that carried us through and our, our shared faith. He, however, had a little faith crisis just a, a couple of years before he died. And he um, shared with me all of his concerns. And at the time, they just kind of bounced off me. I wasn't troubled. I was able to, uh, I think, help steady him a little bit. And and after a couple of years of, of um, his own struggle, he, I, I feel like he came through it and, and was stronger than ever. When he passed away, I think he was in a really good place with his testimony. So I think if I had any struggles over my life, it was my own inability to recognize how the Spirit works with me. I struggled to know how to get answers to prayer. And sometimes even I would question if I had a testimony because I could never point to a specific moment or a dramatic experience or anything like that. And when those doubts would come up about, do I really have a testimony? I would just have to say, anyone who loves the gospel as much as I do must have a testimony. So I'd kind of sweep those concerns under the rug and keep going. Through the roller coaster of our lives, we were very very active callings and and I don't want to give the impression that I did it ever ever have done it perfectly I haven't it's it's messy you know we struggled with all the things that everybody struggles with about 2018 I have a daughter who decided to host some firesides in her home I'm kind of a religion class junkie 
and I've loved, you know, education week and all that kind of stuff. Honestly, uh, COVID was kind of a boon in the sense of all the podcasts and stuff. Um, now I get to have education week every week, you know, cause it's just all the time. So when she decided to host these classes, I, or these firesides, I wanted to go. So she and her husband and another daughter and her husband and myself, we joined these firesides and it, and at the time I felt fine about it. The presenter uh, said he was um, an ordinance worker in the temple. He was on the high council. He'd run these classes past his stake president. And so I felt confident that this was going to be a good thing. And at the same time, I started to attend another series in another city by a different guy. This was a retired BYU professor, but they were both kind of teaching the same Thing, which was basically the doctrine of Christ, but they kind of put a different spin on it. And they were associates of each other. And um, I, I don't want to take the time to go into how they taught this a little differently than what we typically hear in our mainstream uh, Latter-day Saint view of things. But, um, you know, they were teaching from the scriptures. And so I was curious and trying to figure out, let's see, what, what, how do I feel about this? And so I continued I, this is really such a cursory explanation. It's hard to explain what happened, but over time, I began to feel confused and disoriented and not sure what to do about it. And I was frustrated and, and frightened with, with my questions that were being generated from these experiences, but not knowing where to turn, really. No one knew I was going through this. Was there other people that were in the group or going to these firesides that were experiencing similar things? Like they were feeling like it was, were the, so were the people that were doing the fireside, they were still active members of the church and all of that. And they said they were since that time, I've come to believe that I don't think so. Okay. Um, yes, there were other people, really wonderful, good people who were sharing personal experiences that were, adding to my confusion because they were validating what these guys were teaching and saying how their take on it was such a blessing in their life and stuff. And some like me were, were, in fact, I remember one fellow just saying, I, I can't come to these anymore. It's too, the turning point came for me one evening, um, after a class with the BYU professor guy, um, I was involved in a, a private conversation with him and I don't remember what my question was, but at some point he just kind of came right out and said that he felt like that the leaders of the church are corrupt and that they, that the whole church has gone off the rails and that it's a fraud and all that stuff. And a funny thing happens to me when I am uh, distressed. Sometimes I just shut down and go numb. And it was late that night and I was tired and that's what I did. I just, I just kind of uh, made a hasty retreat and went home and went to bed. About one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, I all of a sudden woke up with a start and sat bolt upright in my bed with the horrifying thought, what if that's true? In, in my whole life, I could never have dreamed that, that, that I would have ever, ever even had that thought. But there was the thought and the fear. And um, you know, I'm not prone to anxiety. I've never had anxiety, but that night it felt like a panic attack. I mean, my heart was pounding and I was shaking and there were people in the home, so I couldn't cry out loud. But if I had been alone, I would have cried out loud, like, 
you know, what do I do? I, I don't know. I don't know where to turn. I don't. What if that's true? Does that mean my whole life? I've been doing this all wrong. I've taught my kids wrong. What? Finally, and, and I've described it as a storm. There was a storm going on inside of me, very intense. And um, finally, the questions all boiled down into one question, which was, and I cried out in my heart, Heavenly Father, what about my covenants? What about the covenant? Am I still in a covenant relationship with you? And this is where uh, I can't describe it, but he answered me. And it wasn't, you know, I think one of the reasons why I've had such a hard time getting answers to prayers because I was expecting to hear a voice outside of me coming in. But it wasn't a voice outside of me. It was a voice inside of me that filled me and with calm and with peace and reassurance and love. And I just felt slash heard the Lord say, the covenant is real and you're in it with me and, I, and you're fine. And I literally was able to lie right back down with a smile on my face and go right to sleep. Wow. I know I didn't make that up because mm -hmm. I couldn't have switched gears like that. I have, I've hesitated telling that story because it's the most powerful experience, spiritual experience I've ever had, but it was pivotal to my story. However, <laughs> that didn't fix everything. Yeah. You know, I still had questions. There's a weird thing that happens when you have a paradigm shift about the church. And I have to say, I had not been a Poly Pollyanna Mormon. I had been aware of the flaws in, in the way things can be handled and questions and stuff like that. But um, when you are in the middle of a faith crisis, sometimes you can have that little bit of a paradigm shift where instead of seeing everything through rose-colored glasses, you're seeing everything with some concern and skepticism. In other words, you know, when I drive across the Salt Lake Valley and see a temple before that, I, it was always a, a comforting, happy thought to see the temple. And, and when I was in this weird stage, I would, my stomach would get in knots and I would think, ah, I, I don't know. Around that time, all three of us, my, my daughters and their husbands and myself, we all kind of reacted to these, to this time frame differently. They both left the church and their husbands. They've just left for kind of different reasons, but those classes and stuff were kind of triggers to their, their leaving the church. I didn't want to leave, but I was also open to the possibility that I didn't know everything and that, that maybe the Lord wanted to, I didn't know, but I did say to Heavenly Father, if you want me to leave the church, you're going to have to hit me over the head with a two by four, because I can't leave something that's been such a blessing in my life, something that my ancestors have sacrificed for, and that has been a, the greatest joy to me. So, but what I did do at that point, and I had established early on in my life, not perfectly, but some pretty good habits. I studied the scriptures and prayed every single day, most of my adult life, you know, frequent uh, temple attendance and, and all of that stuff. So I consciously made the decision to keep doing those things. But now as an investigator, 
literally, I felt like a child. I felt like I was starting all over. You know, I felt like where I had thought I had all the answers before, now I just had a whole bunch of questions. And so I continued and actually threw gasoline on my, on my studies. I just, I, and I didn't shy from the tough questions, but I, and you know, I'm at the stage of my life where I have more time than young people to, to spend studying, listening, learning and stuff like that. So I continued, I got a notebook and I put sections in it, a section for questions that I wrote my questions down and the section where I wrote the scriptures and the answers that came, and um, I just filled many pages. You know, the Lord really uh, is so gracious. He just, I call it uh, spiritual manna. I felt like every day spiritual manna came, and I still feel like that. It's still every day, every day that I get uh, wonderful um, material that, that feeds my, my soul and my faith. So um, the, the real crisis here was that I needed to know how to hear the Lord, the, the Spirit. That was the crisis now. I decided that I was going to stay. I was decided I was going to be an investigator. But I knew that, that if I went to my bishop or my stake president, I knew what they were going to say. And if I went to a critic or someone that's left, I knew what they were going to say. So... I needed to hear from him. Throughout my life, I've had people, when I've shared this frustration with them about not being able to hear the Lord, um, people have laughed and just said, oh, Linda, you, you're being guided all the time. You just haven't figured out how to hear him. And I'm like, I know. What I did, though, was I began to shift my, instead of always, you know, hearing people share their spiritual experiences or their spiritual gifts, I've heard you, Ashley, say that you get chills, and other people talk about tingling or, or seeing auras or um, having dreams or hearing. No, I don't get into that at all. And I don't know. I finally figured out that it's called the still small voice for a reason. And I'd always been expecting to hear another voice. I I finally thought maybe it's going to be my voice. It's going to be my. It's going to come in the package of my thoughts. And I'm embarrassed that it's taken me that long to figure that out. But I decided from that at that point to really start focusing more on paying attention to my thoughts and my feelings and trusting them more than I had before. And so that's what I did. And um, and I just feel like the Lord has abundantly responded. Um, I've had a few. I've had so many, like everyday spiritual experiences, but I'd like to maybe share just a couple baby steps, things that were significant, yes. if that's okay. Please do. So one day I was at the temple. I think I'd been fasting, stressed about, you know, agitated because I had questions and didn't know how to hear, how to get answers. And, and I, was, I had come out of the temple and was frustrated because I hadn't had a revelation. Those, one of those little thought things came. And it was, I guess, distinctive enough that I was able to grasp it. And it was just simply believe and keep going. I felt the Lord said, just believe and keep going. And so that brought with it, you know, some peace. And so I just decided to, to hang on to that. And I hung on to that for several months. And when I get agitated about stuff, I would just say, 
he told you to believe and keep going. So that's what I'm going to do. And that really, really helped. But, you know, the roller coaster. One day I was in Sacrament meeting. This was probably a few months later. And I was worked up about something, doctrinal question or something. And, and the frustration of, you know, still not feeling like I could get answers to prayer very well. It was the end of the meeting. They were announcing the closing hymn. And they announced that it was going to be um, How Firm the Foundation, which is precious to me. I had memorized all seven verses previous to that. And as soon as that was announced, and I've got this thought or this question in my head, okay, Heavenly Father, I am believing and I'm going, but what do I believe? And I felt the Lord just download into my mind or bring it up from my memory or whatever, Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. And with that came the gift of peace right in that moment. Just like this knowing thing that was like, number one, you don't have to have the whole thing figured out right now. You don't have to have all the answers right now. Just hang with me and we're, we're going to figure this out. And number two, you don't have to have anybody else's journey figured out either. Because, you know, my kids are leaving the church. And and so that was really, really significant to just, okay, take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. So that was another one of those little um, baby steps for me. And, and it carried me a while. So another one, a few months later, coming out of the temple, frustrated because I hadn't had the revelation or whatever. And I felt the Lord this, this time, it really wasn't a chastisement, but it was kind of, I felt him say, stop it. Stop dredging up the anxiety about this. Stop rehashing, you know, all the questions and the concerns and stuff like that. And it's almost like he was saying, you're not trusting me. Trust me. And so I, right in that moment, I just thought, okay, I'm done. I'm done with that. There's nothing wrong with questions. Don't get me wrong. Questions are good and they're important. And I pray often that Heavenly Father will guide me to have the right questions. But there's a difference between, you know, good questions and going down the rabbit hole with your questions. Going down the rabbit hole. Assessing. Yeah, yep. yep, that's right. That was another little turning point. There was another one that I, at that time, I was a, a docent at the Church History Museum, which was cool. I've always uh, really appreciated church history, but never had a good grasp of it. And so this gave me a, a lot of opportunity to go deeper. And, you know, I've heard people say that if you have questions about church history, you shouldn't study less, you should study more. But, you know, being careful with your sources. And so I did that. And... Um, really appreciated that. And one day I was on duty at the Church History Museum. And, and for those of you that have been there, on the second floor, there's an area called the President's Gallery. And there's a, an exhibit for each of the presidents of the church. And I had time, it was slow that day, and I had time to spend there. And let me back up and say that, you know, critics of the church say that the, the leaders are corrupt and they're there because they they're there for the for the power and the wealth. I've never believed that, but 
those voices, since some of them are close to me now, can feel like static in my head. And so that day with that static, I, I just really spent time with each of those men, looking at the pictures, reading about them. And I, it, was a, it was a very spiritual experience as the Lord let me know that these are good men. They are not, it's laughable to me to think, I mean, looking at their pictures and their lives and stuff, you can just see that when they were 20 and 25 and 30 and 35 and 40, they were fathers, they were husbands, they were scoutmasters, home teachers, elders quorum, whatever. They were not saying, I'm going to climb this ladder so I can be a general authority and make all that money. That's not right. So that was, that was another one of those little bricks in my wall, you know, of building, yep. building me back up. I think the most, um, honestly precious one came one day, I was listening to a podcast. I was just at home in my kitchen and I, it was Terrell Gibbons, I think interviewing elder Merlin K. Jensen, who had been a church historian. And at some point in that interview, um, Terrell asked elder Jensen if he'd ever had a faith crisis and Elder Jensen said, no, I, I haven't. And then somehow, I don't know how he got into it. He started to um, talk about Alma 32. I could not tell you how many times I've read Alma 32 in my life. <laughs> and yeah. I loved it and appreciated it. But that day, it took on new significance for me. And I I would like to share a couple of those verses, if that's okay. Please do. And I know that these are, everybody's familiar with these, but that day, they came alive for me. Uh, so Elder Jensen starts, let's see, it's just a couple of verses. This is verse 27. Behold, if you will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon my word. And that's probably what grabbed my attention right there, because I thought that's what I'm doing. I, I'm doing that. And exercise a particle of faith, yea, even if you can no more than desire to believe. And I was desiring to believe. Let this desire work in you, even until you believe in a manner that you can give place for a portion of my words. Now we will compare the word unto a seed. Now if you give place that a seed may be planted in your heart, behold, if it be a true seed or a good seed, if you do not cast it out by your unbelief, that you will resist the spirit of the Lord. That's really important right there. If we don't cast it out with our unbelief, Behold, it will begin to swell within your breast, and when you feel these swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourselves, it must needs be that this is a good seed, or that the word is good, for it beginneth to enlarge my soul, yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding, yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. These words, you know, uh, swelling motions, um, enlarge my soul, enlighten my understanding, delicious, these are words that that day were just like ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you know? yeah. I recognize those words. That's me. So let's see, I'm going to drop down. And now behold, will not this strengthen your faith? Yea, it will strengthen your faith. For ye will say, I know that this is a good seed. And now behold, because ye have tried the experiment and planted the seed, and it swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow, ye must needs know that the seed is good. For ye know that the word hath swelled your souls, and ye also know that it hath sprouted up, 
that your understanding doth begin to be enlightened and your mind doth begin to expand. Oh, then, is not this real? I say unto you, yea, because it is light, and whatsoever is light is good. When Elder Jensen said that part about, oh, then, is not this real, he got really emotional and couldn't speak. And, and I remember just being riveted on my kitchen floor, just like, the light bulb went on. I just thought, this is how the Lord works with me. This is how he's been working with me my whole life. You know, I've described it as a thrill that goes through me or a surge of energy. And, and so, you know, again, I'm embarrassed that it took me that long to figure it out. But that's been the most precious thing for me because um, I feel like a different person now. I've figured at least that much out. I haven't figured out how to get specific answers to specific prayers and stuff like that. But I'm at peace knowing that I that I will. Mm -hmm. If I need to, like the night of the storm, he'll he'll get through to me. Mm -hmm. I do have some questions, and I also have a comment. I think it's interesting that that the the scripture in Alma about experimenting it is so similar to what I did in in my you know coming back to church, I thought, you know, I don't know if this is going to make me happy. I don't know if this is it for me, but I'm just going to experiment and I'm just going to do everything they tell me to do. And if I'm not like, if it doesn't do it for me after I've done everything they say, then I'm, I'll go back to my old ways. But you know, if it does, if it does help me, then I'll keep going. And it was just my little experiment. And that's exactly what I did. And I love in that scripture, how it says that did it say your mind is expanded or your soul yeah. is your yeah. soul is enlarged? Yeah. I just, it's so like the church and the gospel, it's so, it just adds so much depth to life. You know, yeah. there's so much more to life and so much more that we can just experience and yeah. You know, it's not so surface level. It's not all about like just jobs and money and cars and, you know, what we're, there's so much more meaning to our life and purpose right. and why we're here. And there's so much hope and faith yeah. and, you know, there's so much more to this than just what we're going through right now. And so anyway, I just, I think it's pretty spot on that scripture in Alma. I just, I love it. And thank you so much for sharing that. Well, you're welcome. And I love what you just said. That speaks to me. The, the gospel brings me so much joy. One of my mantras lately has been that the fruits of the gospel and the gifts of the spirit are real. And I live them. I, I experience them all the time. And, and even when there's turbulence, a lot of turbulence in the world around me and in my own life, those gifts of the spirit and the fruits of the gospel meaning peace and hope those words that you just used they're real for me and and i'm just so you grateful can't for deny it. it you can't deny the peace no, no. it's uh, another mantra has been don't throw the baby out with the bathwater." Mm -hmm. and i think it's tricky sometimes figuring out what the baby is and what the bathwater is yeah um and this you know you've mentioned uh lawrence corbridge's talk Yep. And, forever. and the primary questions and the secondary questions. And that's really helped me figure out what the baby is and what the bathwater is. And, you know, when there are policy things that are unsettling or things that happen that make the church not look good, whatever, I'm able to kind of say, 
I've got the primary things in place. Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, the Restoration, the Book of Mormon. And so I've, I've been really grateful for that. Yeah. So what has your relationship been like with your kids that have left? How do you navigate that? I know that I get asked a lot on the podcast or, you know, in social media and emails to ask, you know, the family members what they, how they navigate that relationship. And so I'm really curious to know what it's been like with you, you know, recovering from your faith crisis or, you know, working through that and then having your kids stay on the other side. It hasn't been easy. It, it feels like an earthquake hit our family. And um, I have seven living children, one that passed away when she was a baby, but it's about half, about half who stayed and half who left. And um, it's been, all of us have had to learn how to, to do this differently. I, let me just tell you a quick little experience that happened that, that one of the daughters that has left was living with me at the time. We were super close, especially where the gospel is concerned. Um, She's very deep thinking and literally a day wouldn't go by that we wouldn't somehow find ourselves in a deep gospel discussion. And so I, I really miss that. They've moved now just because they needed a different housing situation. But so we've had to learn how to build our relationship on something besides gospel. But anyway, back to, you know, when, when we were attending the classes and we were in a lot of turmoil all of us and um, one day I came into the kitchen and found her in a top where I could see she wasn't wearing her garments and I was I said oh you're not wearing your garments and she said with some sarcasm um, yeah I wanted to see if I'd get hit by lightning and so I stayed calm but when I had a chance I went to my room closed the door and dropped to my knees and said to Heavenly Father what what do I do? You know, I was really upset. And I was able to hear the answer that day. He said, that's between her and me. And so that's become sort of my stand. That's what I, that's how I, how I do it. It's between him and them. And, and in one way, you know, I've heard you ask some of your other guests if, how, if they're grateful for their faith crisis. Mm-hmm. And I kind of am. Yeah. For a lot of reasons, you know, it certainly has intensified my um, my faith. I've kind of gone from simplicity, complexity, simplicity, you know, Bruce Hafen, the, the yeah. thing. But I also am so grateful because it's helped me to have compassion for those who, who go through this and leave. Mm-hmm. I get it in a way that I never could have gotten it before. Mm-hmm. And I do. They are, these are good people. And I trust, I've told them, I trust you and I trust God. Mm -hmm. And the two of you will figure it out. Yep. I've had had a similar feeling that way. Like, I think I've mentioned in my podcast before that I, you know, have family members that I'm like, I wish they would listen to the podcast. You know, I'm, I, it meet like, to me, it means so much to me that, you know, all these people have these incredible stories of coming back and like, I wish they would listen. And I know that they aren't. And I, but I felt the spirit tell me very clearly that, you know, don't push my, like, it is not my place to create their journey or to interfere with their, with their experience and coming back. It is not my place to say, you know, they're going through exactly what they need to go through to be who God wants them to be. 
Right, right. So. And I feel exactly the same way. And I am super grateful that um, I have a son who's gay, who's left the church, who's probably pretty much atheist, I think. And, um, but we have maintained a really sweet relationship. We get together often and we can talk about lots of stuff, just not politics and not religion. <laughs> and, but there's mutual respect and mutual love. And I can say that for every one of my kids and all of my kids are very kind to me and I'm kind to them. And, you know, we do have to dance around the elephant in the kitchen somewhat, but, and, and that's a learning process to know how to do that. And we ran into the elephant here a few weeks ago and it was a little bit painful, but you know, we just, the gospel has taught us, including them, you know, how to forgive. Yeah. <laughs> so we do. Yeah. When you guys talk about, like, when you say you ran into the elephant in the room, I'm just curious because, you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast, they have similar situations where people in their family are leaving. And it's like, when you're approaching conversations with them, I mean, do you typically just avoid talking about them leaving or do you typically avoid it? Or is there a way to like have a constructive conversation about, you know, faith differences, or do you think that it's better to just avoid it? I've done both. Um, early on with the daughter that was living with me, I had handled the situation not well. We, we had had a, a family gathering. It was one of the first, like 4th of July or something, after them leaving, and and I didn't know how to do this. I, I didn't know really where they are were at and or what what was acceptable to them, and it was time to gather for the, the blessing on the food. And most of the family was outside and those two girls were in the kitchen. And so I, I stepped into the kitchen and said, I don't know what I said, something like, I don't know if you still believe in prayer or not, but we're having the blessing on the food. And I saw a look go between them that I just knew that I had handled that wrong, that that was insulting or something. So later, I think a day or two after that, I, sat down with the one that had lived with me and apologized. And we talked a little bit more openly. And just I just said, I don't, I don't know how to do this. You're going to have to be patient with me. And um, we, we, we were a little more direct in that conversation and expressed. I remember telling her at that time how as she, when she was a teenager, she had been very hard for me to access emotionally. She, she kept me at arm's length. But when when she was about 19, she got really, really interested in the gospel and decided to, to serve a mission. And we got really close as she prepared for a mission. And we, we, that's when we started to have these wonderful gospel discussions. And so I told her that day, I said, I'm, I'm afraid that as you leave the church, you're also leaving me. Saying that, you know, I don't know. We, I think I am guilty of avoiding it too much. I'm, I'm trying. See, that's been five years ago and i'm trying to learn how to be more comfortable and natural in talking about the the church in my life and i haven't really opened my i, I maybe i should open myself up to like tell me what you believe i just haven't and i you can see i don't know how to do this <laughs> I, I really don't know either. And I, um, I mean, 
based on, we did an episode with Jared Halverson recently. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and it was really good. And he, you know, talks about just, you know, sitting with people with where they're at. And, you know, and it's not just you, Linda, like I'm, I'm partially asking you these questions because I truly want to know what you think, because I, I don't think I really know how to navigate these situations either. And I think that what you said, though, is so per just perfectly said about your kind of spiritual experience with this is between them and God, yeah. you know, not our place to insert ourselves into their faith journey. And, you know, so Right. I think what we can do is love them and accept them for where they're at. And um, I think that's really the best thing we can do. And we're just learning too what, what yeah. to do. You know, every family is different. Every family has different dynamics. My family, we are um, kind and gentle to a fault. All of us. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know how to fight. And that's good news and bad news. And so... Uh, maybe that's why we're all scared of tiptoeing into anything that might be uncomfortable or whatever. But um, I have confidence that we'll get better at it, that, that over time we'll get better at having these discussions. Yeah. I am just super grateful that the Lord has helped us do as well as we've done, mm -hmm. that we're still able to get together. And there's great, great love every which way. So that's awesome. So what advice would you have for somebody that maybe just encountered, you know, material that sh shook their testimony or, um, you know, they're just in that place that you were when you went to bed that night and you felt that anxiety? Mm -hmm. What what advice would you have for somebody in that situation? I would say be patient with yourself, be patient with the Lord, be patient with the church. I think it's really an important tr truth that I have realized that, that faith is a choice. I've had people who've left the church say to me, I wish, I wish I could believe like you do. I wish I could believe. And, and I've come to believe that faith and a testimony is a partnership with God. And I'm going to compare it to a garden. You could compare it to getting an education or exercising or whatever, but I'm going to, I've just taken up gardening at this late stage of life. If I want a garden, I've got to prepare the soil. I've got to make sure there's going to be water. I've got to make sure that it's going to have light. I've got to figure out what seeds and get them in there and, and um, be on the lookout for weeds and pests. And But the, the important point here is that the real magic happens with it. God makes that happen. He's the one that provided the sun and the water and the soil and the seeds. And then he makes those seeds somehow turn into a watermelon or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And that's how faith is. That's how a testimony is. I do, I do these things that prepare the soil in my heart. Uh, all the things, you know, the praying and the repenting and forgiving and serving and mm -hmm. temple and all of that. That's just preparing the soil. The magic is is what God does in our heart, that He gives us a new heart. Yeah. That He sends the Holy Ghost to to bear witness to us. That He, I didn't know I had all these spiritual gifts that I've I've discovered. I, for instance, I didn't I didn't know until just recently, looking back on the night of the storm, 
that I had a spiritual gift in the sense that I never once, it never occurred to me to question whether God was there. A lot of people will leave the church and leave God. Mm-hmm. And it never, it never occurred to me to, to question his reality, his love, his patience with me. And that's a spiritual gift. Yeah, it is. That was given to me somewhere along the way. Maybe I was born with it. I don't know, but it's a gift that I didn't create. He gave it to me. Mm-hmm. You know, even the way that I love learning about the gospel, that's a spiritual gift. I really can't take credit for that. I, I can take credit that I nurture the gift. Anyway, it's such a partnership. And so if someone is struggling, I would beg them to to not be too hasty and to not expect to have it all figured out right now to know that life is messy the church is messy people are messy our journey is messy church history is messy it just is and so i love what um stephen harper the one of the church historians if you've come across his stuff He's awesome. I love him. He was he uh, was a presenter on an uplift uh, community. Uh, oh yeah, yep. And he talks about in his his experience becoming a church historian and, and his frustration with some of the early leaders of the church and how territorial they were with the records and stuff like that. He said, "I've come to look at the leaders of the church and." the members of the church past and present with faith hope and charity and he went on to expand on that which i won't do but i that's been really helpful to me to to realize that everybody's human and everybody's bumbling along yep mess of their own weaknesses in their own life in their own context and we just need to be patient with them and with ourselves and with god because he's got to work with our limitations yep he can't give me a download of all the answers right now i Mm -hmm. I can't handle it yep so he's got to wait for me to get ready yes so it's kind of a dance that we do together (laughs) Mm -hmm. i love that i love that analogy um well do you have any other final words of wisdom that you want to leave us with tonight um i'm just gonna oh i heard something super cool just um I listened to a couple of uh, YouTube channels. One is Quick Media. Greg Matson is his name. Really like him. And another guy, Jacob Hansen, his is called Thoughtful Faith. They're both very faithful, smart people. And they came together and were having a discussion about how we know that we know. Jacob Hansen was saying that they're both Spanish speakers. I'm not a Spanish speaker, but that they were talking about how in Spanish, there are two words for no, the concept of no. There's the um, rational certainty, you know, the mental intellectual certainty that we would use in science or in school or something. That's called saber. Connoisseur is more experiential. And so uh, Jacob Hansen was saying um, the difference between those, like saber, the rational certainty, would be like reading a paper on love, for instance connoisseur would be holding your dying child in your arms and experiencing that love. Both of those words speak of knowing, but it's a whole different kind of knowing. Wow. 
And I so love that because I, you know, in, in the faith crisis world, it's really a no-no to say, I know the church is true. Mm-hmm. And I've had that struggle too, because I can't say that I have saber, the rational certainty thing. Because, and oh, Jacob Hansen quoted some philosopher, which I can't think of his name right now, who, who spent his entire life trying to figure out what it is we're capable of knowing. And he says there's actually nothing we're capable of knowing like saber, like rational certainty. Because even scientists, you know, their, their knowledge changes all the time. And what they, like, for instance, they might say that they know that Mars is such and such, but they don't actually know that. They haven't been to Mars, so they're trusting somebody. Right. Right. So I don't know. That conversation was so helpful because I can say connoisseur experientially. Mm-hmm. And I people know. can't argue with that. I mean, you have your own experiences that you have. Right. And nobody can tell you that you didn't have that experience. Right. And like, and these two guys had the same kind of conversation that um, Lawrence Corbridge had at the end of that talk, where he goes through the four different ways that you come to know. I don't know if you remember that, but Mm -hmm. you know, there's the logical reasoning thing. There's the experiential thing. There's the spiritual witness. There was one more. I can't remember what it was. And and Greg Matson has three. Jacob Hansen has five. But these different ways that we come to know to have our testimony. And I can say now in the connoisseur way that I know because of, of those things, it's not just, you know, it's the experience, it's the, the witnesses of, of um, people that I admire mm-hmm. watching them their whole lives. Yep. It's the reading and the studying and the, you know, what I've shared today of obviously is just such a tip of the iceberg. Right. Only God knows how much work goes on inside this head and yours too. Yep. That, that makes up this knowing. That so we have. true. So, so true. And it's a process and it's a, it's a, and I, I know that right now I'm probably in a, on a high and I will hit a low. That's just the way it is. And I think those lows, I call those wilderness wilderness stages they're important they are important they're built into the deal and we need them and and that's where we struggle and that's where we uh, find out that we are nothing and we find out that we need god and and so i love it i love i love the gospel i love the process i love even the painful times i it's all a gift. It is. I love that so much. Well, Linda, you are so amazing. And I am just so happy that I got to have you on the podcast after all the <laughs> ups and downs of trying to get you on and internet problems and all kind of stuff. But you're just, you have such a light about you and you're just so beautiful. I just have to tell oh. you that you are so beautiful. And Gosh. I, I just am so grateful for your sweet spirit and just coming on the podcast and sharing, you know, all the things that you've experienced. And yeah, I just thank you so much. Can I thank you? Um, This has been very near and dear to my heart, this whole journey. And um, I have felt a need to share it, but have not known how or where. 
you know, you can't share something like this in a 30 second comment in Relief Society. Yep. And so I'm very grateful to you. And I'm so grateful for your podcast. Your this platform is so inspired and I just eat every one of them up. Well, thank you so much. Keep nurturing this thing, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I was just talking to Lauren today and we were like talking about how every single week we have crazy stuff going on. There's all kinds of, we were both working mothers and, but somehow every single week we managed to get the episode recorded and edited and out every single week. And it just happens. Well, and, kudos to you. And I know it's a partnership, you and God and Lauren. Yes, it is. Yep. So thank you. Right. Thank you so much, Linda. Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, There's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.